So just to begin, um, to acknowledge the connection, because sometimes it takes acknowledgement again, that when we think and hear about what's going on in the world, there's this tendency to make it there and us here. And that when we do it, it feels like whatever we do doesn't make a difference. And if we frame it differently or understand it differently, that all of us are in the same boat together, which is being alive as human beings, and that we are all born with ignorance, even the Buddha, and that that ignorance in different conditions gets triggered and supported. And I know that I would be behaving really differently if I was in the Sudan or in uh, Israel or Palestine or um, living in an indigenous reservation here, or um, in Nigeria or the Congo, or Chechnya, in any of the places where there is, uh, are there extreme conditions of suffering? That is to say that in those conditions, particular energies get triggered. The energy for revenge, the energy for defense, for control, the energy um, to shut down, the energy to go into fight and flight, to become disembodied. And that is how it is. That is how we work as human beings, our minds work. And then, for mysterious and complex reasons, we find ourselves in conditions that support different energies. That by coming here, we are growing presence and caring and tenderness and patience and perseverance and non-reactivity. And it's, I see it as, and I think I've mentioned this before, um, I see it as over these many lifetimes, if you believe in that or in just this lifetime, we find ourselves handing the burden of healing to different people, of in some way saying, I'm caught in a war zone now. I need you where you're not to do the work of healing because that's just how it is. And that that work isn't just for you, it's for all of us because right now I can't do it. 
And so that's how I understand what we're doing, that it's not separate at all, that we are all together and that we are acknowledging in some way, consciously or unconsciously, this particular blessing and what we've been handed. This is what we've been handed. And that there's something beautiful, like anything that is given, to receive it. To receive it graciously and with awareness. To say, in some way, yes, thank you. Thank you for this. And I will take it. I will receive it and take it. And work it. Um, that's uh, just to sort of follow with two conversations. And um, I have a sister who I am very close with, who is queer also in, um, in Oakland. And she recently got married to her honey. And they were in a conversation which came up more intensely because so many family members came for the wedding and cousins and so on and so forth. Her family from L.A., I mean um, her partner's family. And (coughs) my sister and Francoise um, bought this quite big house. They have a couple of spare bedrooms. Um, It was like one of those great deals just before things got too expensive to buy. And so Terry's perspective is, oh, I have this great house. You know, so yes to people who need a spare bedroom. And Francoise comes from a whole different culture, and her culture is, no, this is my home. I, I don't really like too many people coming into it. And that conversation then about just to, you know, just to become aware of what are we given and how do we use it. And Sue and I were in conversation because for those of you who don't know, she remodeled her kitchen into a totally beautiful space, which is really lovely. And we were in the same conversation of what are we given and how do we use it. And can we receive what we're given with an open heart because we have been given it? No, just whatever it is we're given. And when we think about um, the Buddha, you know, he, I, I don't think he, in any of the suttas he felt guilty about what he was given. He just got clearer and clearer about what his path was and what it consisted of what and what it didn't. And so here we are being given this, this opportunity to um, hold our own ignorance and our own reactivity, wherever that is, as part of this great healing. 
And then just to say, because we were also, I was just in a conversation, not to keep talking about Sue, but we're hanging out together because I'm staying there, so we get to have these wonderful conversations um, about noticing where we're reactive and where we're shut down. Because unless we notice it, we can't heal it. And so part of this opportunity is to notice not even necessarily um, uh, as a big project, but just to have that appreciation of where we see suffering in our life because then we can heal it. And unless we see it, we can't heal it. And that's just so much the, the sort of going back to the core of what's happening in the world and the blessing of not only acknowledging our own suffering, but acknowledging the ignorance and what happens, the suffering that comes from it, also for others. Like here, here is where I suffer and I ignore it. And I create a story around it and a defense. And here it is in the world. And this is how it touches me here. You know? And how do I hold it? Do I make more suffering out of it? Or can I hold it as this is how we are as human beings in particular conditions, and I will do my work for healing that. And then there's a feeling of friendship and solidarity. So that's um, to appreciate uh, your and our capacity to do that. And I appreciate it. I appreciate being in this circle with you and to share that capacity of opening and joining in the struggle that each of us has to heal our ignorance and to help heal each other's. And that's what we're doing here in the small circle, in our relationships in the world. And that's how I understand the charge that's been given to us. So it's always nice to do it with friends. Or impossible to do it without friends, I would say. Mm. So then just one last thought around that, sort of connecting some different things together. I was speaking to a student today who's an organizer, a labor organizer, who is at the, um, the, dock, the city docks in Oakland and organizing the um, blockade against uh, the Israeli ship that was coming in. And um, she was talking about it and her struggle as an organizer, she's not, she's not so recently come to the Dharma, but more, but still struggles a lot with 
um, her work environment of political activism, and she works for SEIU, and, um, and the Dharma. And so she said to me, um, we were in, uh, we were in um, a small group of the Deep Practitioners Program that's part of Spirit Rock, and there are a lot of uh, people of color, queer people of color, in that group. And um, there was an exercise on microaggressions, and one of the women, the, uh, uh, one of the people of color in the group said, you know, I'm sick and tired of reading about microaggressions. That's what you give us to read of, of sort of, um, of racism that isn't quite so blatant anymore, but is still pretty blatant. And the teacher said, you know, I believe that if we practice the practice of loving kindness, that there will come a time when there are microaggressions, whether it's around race or homophobia or class or um, gender or um, um, religious affiliations, whatever when now the microaggressions against those experiences, that we won't be, t we won't be um, uh, touched by them because there'll be so much love inside of ourselves. And she said, do you believe that? And I said, I think that is part of the work. But I also really believe that we can't do it as individuals, that we have to come together collectively in whatever ways we do, as sanghas, as labor unions, as communities, that we have to do the work individually and collectively. And so in talking about healing ignorance, I want to be really careful not to end up just talking about it individually because I think there's a tendency in Buddhism for that to happen where change just gets located on the individual level in a way that makes it safe politically. And I think that when we talk about transformation and holding ignorance that we have to also talk about it collectively because, and I know that for many of us, we already have experienced the different consciousness and the different kind of love and awareness that happens when we come together as a group in action to address ignorance on structural levels. Whether it's even in study or whether it's in blockades, or whatever it is, that there's something about coming together in community to inquire, to learn, to act, that's different than doing it individually. It brings a different force into being. And that's the whole theory about a hundred monkey, you know, that you do it and you do it, and then something catches fire. And we are kind of seeing that already around the the police murders. There have been lots of police murders in every American city around the world, and yet this, again, it keeps catching fire, and it's catching fire again. 
because of the collective activism around it. And I, I'm saying this for myself as well, uh, as you know, for you, because I spend a lot of time in, in Sangha, in community, practicing and sharing the Dharma. And I sometimes don't turn up for those activism um, invitations. And I am becoming more conscious and aware of that tendency of myself somehow being seduced a little bit into the culture of individualism, which America has more than any other country in the world. If you've happened to travel travel to other countries and cultures, you will feel that so strongly that this country is more constructed around individualism than any other country. And so even in Buddhism, there's a tendency to not uh, to have that infuse how we understand the transformation process and the change process of being given these blessings of the Dharma and the conditions to practice and thinking that if I just practice individually, that's enough. Mm-hmm. I know many of you know that already, but sometimes it's nice for us just to name it again and acknowledge it again to support each other in our commitment to work on all levels. Um, and that, and just to say that we can't leave anyone out. We can't leave any level out because change needs to happen on all, I would say, three levels, the personal, the interpersonal, and the structural, cultural level. But, uh, otherwise, it, won't, it doesn't work. So um, uh, then, thank you for that riff of hearing of hearing that. Um, and now I'll go a little more into what I had planned to talk about. I do actually. That's lovely. <laughs> thank you. A lamp. Oh. Oh, that's fine. I know it's not great, but... Oh, yes. I, I have noticed in a number of interviews with people recently that um, it's been cropping up in sentences, this word still... I'm still upset, or I'm still angry, or I still, and and um, and I I really love that word because it um, lights up something for us about where we are. It's such a mirror. 
because rarely it's reflective of a wonderful trap that we all fall into, and especially when we're in a spiritual practice. And that is that we think we need to be more spiritual than we are. That, you know, that we need to be more loving, more generous, more mindful. And so when we talk about still being somewhere, we're saying, you know, that where we are isn't good enough. And that because we think we should be more spiritually advanced in this particular moment, or even drop the spiritually more advanced, or maybe even drop advanced and it's just plain aversion and we don't like where we are and we just want to be somewhere different than we are, whatever it is in those, it's very seductive because it feels as though the wanting to be in a different place somehow will get us there. And that that wanting is a legitimate emotion and so we should believe the stories about that wanting because in believing them and investing in that wanting, we surely will get to that place. So that's what that's the beauty of ignorance and delusion. It's so seductive and tricky in living in in living in the assumption that wherever we are is not good enough. That is one of the core tenets of ignorance, is that we're not good enough. And that we need to improve ourselves in some way. And then, of course, there isn't just that personal movement, but the, but the social movement around it, that it's so solidified in the culture of consumerism because it's not just centered around objects and buying things, but it's also centered in the way people are characterized in life. It, as you know that, I mean, I know we know better, but we don't. You know, when we see movies or other people who seem happy, that we objectify it in our not wanting of our own experience and justify our not wanting by somehow holding or harboring that hope or dream that somehow by wanting to be different, we will be different. This wanting that I'm talking about isn't a wanting that comes out of wisdom, just to be clear. It comes out of a rejection of ourselves. And we all do it all the time. And the word still, I'm still, reflects that. You know, where somewhere we think we still, I, I'm still such a bad meditator. You know, who hasn't had that thought? I'm, I'm still such a bad practitioner or Buddhist. You know, or I, I still am not as generous as I'd like to be. You know that we do that, we do that all the time. And it's so lovely to name it and to see it. And not only to see that reflective in the sentence, but then when we turn away from ourselves, which is what this dynamic is, when we judge ourselves and turn away from ourselves into this wanting, 
there isn't only the wanting, but a whole set of behaviors that come from the turning away. And so one, so one set of behaviors is to become super active in our life. And I, and I know this from, um, I hope my sister doesn't hear this Dharma talk, but <laughs> notice, notice how super active she was. It, you know in that way where you do one project and then you're on to the other and you're on to the other, and there's some place where you don't rest where we become obsessed with doing, that's one of the expressions of turning away. And then, of course, the other, where we feel really tired, exhausted, depressed, and hopeless. That's another. Or where we become just perfectionist, like whatever we do isn't quite good enough. And if it is acknowledged... At what we do, there's just a tiny little sliver we'll let in, you know, because, because we've turned away, because we've turned away from what our lived experience is. Or it could be um, we um, get into fixing things, like, so I, you know, I notice that some of us, some of the time, like like to smooth things over. So I um, I've been part of a email of a conference that's happening about women in Buddhism that has brought all these famous professors together, and they're all male, and and they're talking about women in Buddhism. So so some of us have been giving feedback, and one. This one professor wrote back on this list, this list, listserv, and said, "You know, and said, you know, I'm sure they didn't intend to. You know, I'm sure it's, you know, it's something that we can, you know, that it sort of like it, everything is okay, and we'll just covering up what's really going on. Some of us do that, you know, and just and then some of us do the opposite. Some of us get out our out the equivalent of our own guns and we're ready, you know, to really do the war path and fight and struggle to the bitter end. You know, so we all have different patterns. Whatever it is, the intensity of those patterns, it's not about the pattern itself. It's about that turning away. That is delusion and ignorance just to say that's delusion and ignorance. And the healing is, the profound healing is to turn towards ourselves and to feel the feeling that is underneath the still. What is it that I feel I'm not good about, enough about? Can I feel that, that, and we have a wide range of that, that, wow, I feel like a failure, or I feel obsessed about someone, and I can't stop thinking about them. I feel that obsession, or I feel the feeling of separateness, like, wow, 
when I when I was with my um, sister and her ex-husband and husband, that was our configuration. The three of them would get into, you know, because they they know each other so well. Um, they would get into like making decisions together, and I and I would feel this feeling of being so lonely. And it would take a while to drop. I can't believe that's what they're doing. This is the second night they've made decisions about the next day without including me. You know, so I'd watch that. And I would believe it. And then I would go to my little cabin. And I would practice dropping the thoughts. And it would be like, wow, can I feel this loneliness? And when the loneliness was caught in the storyline, it was very hard to feel. But if I could come to that place of saying, this is my feeling of loneliness. It is loneliness arising inside of me. It has nothing to do with what was being said. Then I could feel it. And then when I felt it, even though in some ways it's, it's excruciating, in that process, something falls away. Not that I won't feel lonely again. I know that I will. I'm just taking this as an example. But the identification with it, that, that sense of being caught in it falls away in such a way that I could go back to the group and say, so, so I did. So I did the meditation. They, they stayed up late till 2 or 3 a.m. So it was fine to go back at midnight and say, hey, you guys, you know, I just have been, and just friendly, like this is the impact of what's going on. And would you, you know, would you be willing to include me in the decisions? And of course, you know, it wasn't, oh, sure, it was like, I didn't, I did not include you. It was, you know, and it was like, fine, it's fine. You know, it's totally fine. So, so that's, you know, it's like I did, I did the turning towards it. You know, and that's the calling of our hearts, is that turning towards in the understanding that whatever we're feeling is good enough that we do not have to be different, and that the trap is thinking it's not okay to feel lonely, that I should be further along in my Dharma practice and not triggered by that dynamic. And so that's the, that's the invitation that we, all, that we all face in those times and places that wherever we are is okay. And in this practice, there is never, ever a, a good reason, good as in wise, there is never any wisdom in judging ourselves as not good enough, as not further along than we should be, that that is not wisdom. It feels then just to say the moment of turning and letting go of that and the storyline 
I see requires a lot of faith because the way we're constituted, it feels as though holding on in some way will defend ourselves. You know, holding on to the storyline and holding on to the feeling. And it requires such a faith to let go into letting the feeling happen, not knowing where it will take us. And I had this dream, um, I had this dream after I did this, of this big ocean, you know, coming over me, which is classic about being engulfed in feelings. Like, I'm going to be engulfed in my feeling and I'm not going to find any dry land and, you know, you know, and I couldn't find my sister in the dream, which is sort of also myself, like, you know, that big fear. And it's like, yeah, I, there is that fear. Maybe you would say it differently for yourself of what it is to surrender into being who we are and letting the movement of life and feelings move without trying to control it. It takes a deep surrender. And that's that surrender we know because we've already done it in some way or another or we wouldn't be here. We know it brings good results. And yet, isn't it amazing how each time when we're faced at this choice point, it feels like a new surrender all over again to really open up and allow how, whatever it is, however it is, in these moments, to live. So, in the Dharma, there are, that's enough. I won't go on because it's 8.30 already. <laughs> you get to 8.45. I know, but I've already been talking for 45 minutes and I would like at least some interaction with you all. So I'll, I'll end up by saying to, I'll end up not in the middle of a sentence, <laughs> but I'll end up by saying um, um, one thing that's been enormously helpful for me about the traditional teachings and that is that there are five particular energies called the spiritual powers or the spiritual faculty, which are the particular qualities that when grown become the conditions for awakening and healing, become the conditions of, of um, strengthening the mind to such an extent that ignorance can't hold sway anymore. So... They're called the five powers and faculties. And do you know what they are? Do any of you know what they are? Faith, exactly. Faith is the first. Energy. Mindfulness. Come on. Concentration. And effort goes with energy, exactly. They're both um, synonymous. And what's the last one? Wisdom. Wisdom. So faith, effort and energy, mindfulness, concentration and wisdom. And so it's really lovely when it's really lovely when we find ourselves caught in some way to reflect 
on these qualities, the faith of taking that leap forward into the unknown by turning towards ourself without an agenda of where we think we should be. The effort of doing it, because it takes an effort to do that turning. There's so much resistance to it. There's so much movement to go out and try and fix the world outside of us, not from wisdom, but from this, from this aversion. From being present with mindfulness, from letting go of the storyline, that's non-distraction. That's the concentration of letting go of the storyline, of letting go to come into connection and focus. And then the wisdom, that knowing that what we're doing is the path. It's so beautiful. So I had a lot more about the five faculties, but then for next time. Let me finish with um, one of my favorite um, poets, Joy Arjo, Eagle Poem. To pray, you open your whole self to sky, to earth, to sun, to moon, to one whole voice that is you, and know there is more that you can't see, can't hear, can't know except in moments steadily growing and in languages that aren't always sound, but other circles of motion like eagle that Sunday morning over Salt River, circled in blue sky, in winds swept our hearts clean with sacred wings. We see you, see ourselves and know that we must take the utmost care and kindness in all things. Breathe in, knowing we are made of all this, and breathe knowing we are truly blessed because we were born and die soon within a true circle of motion like eagle rounding out the morning inside us. We pray that it will be done in beauty, in beauty.